0: As we stand, let's uh, pray together. You <laughs> didn't have to stand if you still don't worry. <laughs> Heavenly Father, make us strong in spirit. We pray, even as your spirit was at work in John the Baptist, that we may in our generation faithfully declare your faithfulness over the many generations. Amen. Do please take a seat. Earlier this morning, I heard part of a service from South Africa uh, to commemorate the life of Nelson Mandela. The lesson was the escape of the Israelite slaves from Egypt. Oppressed black South Africans consciously took on the story of those slaves as their own as, of course, back in the 19th century, the slaves in uh, North America had done. Why? Because it helps to set your own story and struggles in the context of something much bigger than yourself. We know what it is to take on the big stories. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the mouth of Zechariah, as we just heard this morning. And he is taking on the biggest story of all. He's actually taking on the whole of the Old Testament story. And he's doing it not to say, look at what I, Zechariah, will do, but rather look at who my son will be pointing to. So please, if you've closed it, do open it again. Chapter 1. Of uh, Luke, it's on page uh, 1027. And I want to divide our, our look at this into three elements. One, and this is the longest one, how God was faithful to them. And we'll go through the text. Then I want to think how God is faithful to, to me. And then finally, uh, to think how God, how the message might become useful of God's faithfulness to those who are not here, and not among us this morning. But the longest uh, is to look at the text and discover how God was faithful to them. It's not uh, it's not without reason that the first word that Zechariah. Uh, opens with is praise. Zechariah has been uh, struck dumb for the months of his wife's pregnancy because of a visitation from an angel whom he didn't believe, and that was God's punishment. So he's been struck dumb, and uh, as he comes to speak, the first thing he says is praise, uh, both in the English and in the translation the original from which it comes. But it's also true that the Holy Spirit, who fills Zechariah at this point, has been silent. The Holy Spirit has not spoken to God's people for 400 years. The last time they heard from God was in uh, Malachi. The days of Malachi, the last prophet that you'll probably know from the Old Testament, that was 400 years before. So the Holy Spirit himself has been silent. And when the Holy Spirit finally speaks, the first word that the Holy Spirit speaks in the mouth of Zechariah is praise. Whatever's going to follow is going to be amazing. And what happens opens up is we get this incredible review of, of God's dealings with his people. And it is his people. He is praised as the God of Israel From everlasting, his goal is not just to be God, not just to be God the creator, but to be God of a people, always to have a people who are his and whose God he will be. There's no joy for God in just being creator. His godness, if you like, is expressed only when he has this this fatherly relationship with a people, his people. Now, when we go on as the, uh, the song continues to hear words like uh, redeem uh, in verse 69 and salvation in 71, we, we kind of, oh, it's, it's, it's Advent, it's coming up to Christmas. Well, we know about those words, don't we? That's Jesus stuff. But, but in a way, not yet. Uh, Luke is looking back from the, obviously knowing the Jesus stuff to the time before the story was entirely clear, where Jesus was still on his way. And and it's it's too spiritual to rush to that just yet. This is still about God acting as saviour, in the sense of saving his people from everyone who would oppress them. When the Old Testament talks about a horn, and you can see it there uh, in verse uh, 69. He's raised up a horn. It means a person who is a symbol of strength. So in verse 69, he has rescued his people from slavery. That's, the, that's what, uh, sorry, verse 68, redeemed, is the language of slavery. The picture is the Exodus redeeming. And in verse uh, 71... He's defeated the foes of his people so as to bring them salvation. So that's a look back to kind of the exodus and that slavery redeeming period. But then this mighty figure is going to carry echoes of the great King David, who extended the borders of his people further than anyone else had ever done. He united the people, he brought peace from their enemies round about them. But there is something more than earthly salvation here. You've just got to think of the names that are here David, Abraham. Thinking of the words redeem, kind of for, for a Jew, carries that sense. Oh, Moses, we know about that. In fact, this song is full of references to the Old Testament. It's deliberately setting out to go back and, as it were, to, to gather up every possible reference it can. Abraham is there, the Exodus is there. David is there. The prophets, the later prophets of Israel are there. Whatever this is about, this is about the whole of God's people and the whole of their history. And also here, though we probably don't hear it so easily, there are echoes of the Psalms. Psalm 106 has a moment at the beginning when God visits and saves his people. And the original language is actually uh, 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 the same as the language we get in Luke 1, although our translations obscure it a bit. And this is what I find exciting, because in Psalm 106, God's people are suffering under oppression. But that is God's judgment upon them for their sin. And then in their distress, God, we're told in the psalm, remembered his covenant... And delivered them. So when we read now in Luke chapter 1 and verse 72 that God is remembering his covenant, what's going on is that the judgment of oppression that came through their sin is being lifted. The punishment of their sin is completed, the judgment is over. A new period of mercy and forgiveness has started. So, it isn't the enemies and those who hate us over here as physical. Uh, Oh, and uh, by the way, also we're covering God opening his uh, mercy and forgiveness uh, over here as spiritual. The two things belong together. So, Zechariah, inspired by the Spirit, is recognizing that the era of judgment and harshness is over, and the era of God forgiving his people is opening up. Now, just imagine what that means think of all those, well, I think we still call them Negro spirituals, that celebrate what God is going to do, because the hope is there that oppression will finally be lifted. This, is, this could be set to that kind of music, because it has that sense in it that the harshness, it's finally over, do you remember that line in the um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where uh, I, I can't remember the character who says it uh, says, but speaks of a land where it is always winter and never Christmas? That's the sense that's coming through in Zechariah that, that it has felt like always winter, but there will be Christmas. There is an answer coming. The darkness is passing away. Well, before we go on, let's just spend a moment longer on uh, uh, verses 72 to 75. God made covenants, agreements, but in which he was the one who offered the agreement. He made covenants with Adam, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. And in each one, the issue at the heart of it was really one of identity. You shall be my people and I shall be your God. So when their sin got in the way, the covenant would be broken by them and would need reaffirming in all of God's mercy. That's why there are the succession of covenants, because they kept breaking them. To Abraham, there'd come the promise of deliverance from his enemies. To Moses had come the promise that God would enable his people freed from Egyptian slavery to serve him without fear, as it says in verse 74, and uh, it was going to happen again, says Zechariah. But this time, uh, he's gathering up the whole history, because this is going to be the final, the last, the one and only covenant. All of this looks back, it's history and it's for a reason. It's not just random. Oh, look, isn't that nice? God's, do- God's doing that thing again that he does. Rather, it's a deliberate looking back over history to say all that God has ever done with all of the covenants, all the calling, all the claiming of a people, it was all so that one day we could serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Verse 75. That's the history. But then Zechariah goes on and looks forward. That one day is here. What God has always done is now being fulfilled in our time. All those promises in every generation to each one of our fathers in the faith, here, now, they're all coming together. God has not forgotten us. 400 years they've wasted. The Archbishop of Canterbury, in the sermon about Mandela this morning, uh, talked about his 27 years in prison and said, 27 years, just add that to your own age and think what 27 years does to you. True. But now think what 400 years does to you. The, The complete collapse of hope probably whitewashed with a sense of yes well we do, we do continue to hope in god and we hope that he will give us the strength to get through these very difficult times that we're in it's not what zechariah is promising he's promising an end and you my child will be called a prophet because you will go before this lord who will be god himself to prepare the way. And this salvation will be, finally, the forgiveness of all the sins of idolatry and unbelief and abuse of each other that led to your oppression in the first place. The last time God's voice had been heard was in the days of Malachi, when God promised the rising of the sun of righteousness. And here, verse 78, here it is, the rising sun will come to us from heaven. And one final thought, as we think about then, we listen to Zechariah and we think how wonderful it is that his son should become the Baptist. But whatever will go on to happen for the Savior and the Baptizer, it tells us that the line of salvation is not going to pass through Zechariah himself, or through Zechariah and even his son, John. All that Zechariah, the priest stands for. The temple in all its glory is being set aside. The horn of salvation will be in the house of David, the kings, not in the house of Levi, the priests. And why might that be? Because the Old Testament is full of references to kings who, because they were king, thought that they could take on the job of priest as well, thought that they could Uh, present sacrifices, and take the power that there was of of dealing with God. And then the judgment that falls on those kings, because God in each case says, no, 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 you don't overstep your limits, because the priests will tell you what to do. The priests are actually the boss. But now, a king is going to be the boss. The priests, the line of priests is being set aside, because the the king, the king of kings, is entering upon his service. God is faithful to them. But, and much more briefly, God is faithful to me, because all of that's for them. And what about me and you? This is, after all, the God of Israel, and we're not, most of us, Jewish. I came to Christ when I was convinced within the space of a couple of hours that a man had risen from the dead. I did not come with any awareness of saying, finally, the Deuteronomic promise that I can see in in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy is being fulfilled, oh good. Probably you didn't either. But, as time went on, my picture of God changed. Who he is got deeper. Who I allowed him to be in my life got bigger. As I read the story of how he'd been faithful over such a long time, as I learned how the one who'd been raised from the dead had actually been promised over many generations, it simply drove deeper down into me the conviction that what had first astonished me, a man raised from death, was the answer not just to my problems, but the problems of the world. As the story went deeper, my steps grew lighter. And let me express it like this. You've probably seen women, it normally tends to be women, who can carry jars and bowls on their head. Now, when I first came to Christ, I felt like someone carrying a jar uh, of water on my head. Here I have something incredibly precious, and it's up to me not to spill any of it. But as the deeper story was learned... It felt more like here's me swimming in a pool because the water is all around me, in fact, and beneath me, and supporting me. I don't support the water anymore as though it all depends on me. The water sustains me. It's always depended on God. This is our story. If you are uh, A brother or sister in Christ, and can sing those songs as we have sung this morning in worship of Jesus Christ. This is our story that we've heard this morning, not because we're Jewish, but because it's the story of our God, the only God from eternity. And then finally, God is faithful for the others. God was faithful for them then. God is faithful for me now. But what about the world that doesn't know Christ? Well, imagine you've got a medical problem. You go and see the doctor, and she sends you away with a prescription for liposine. You take that uh, prescription to the pharmacy, and uh, you have a conversation with the pharmacist to discover that uh, everyone seems to be getting liposine on their prescription. That every doctor across the city is prescribing lifozine for everything. Well, knowing that, you take it somewhat cautiously, but you're amazed to find it works. Even more amazed when your neighbor over the fence says it worked for him, with a different ailment completely that was holding him back. What Zechariah offers is actually a universal prescription. By reviewing the history of Israel, when so many promises were made to God's people. And when so many times they failed to believe those promises. Uh, 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 The the promise that we had at the beginning on the 10-pound note, I can imagine, I don't know if you've had this with your kids, trying to explain to your own children what I promised to obey the bearer the sum of 10 pounds means. But Dad, this is 10 pounds. So why does it promise to pay the bearer the sum of £10? Well, it means that if you go into a shop, I could give you another £10 note for this one. But it says, I promise to pay the bearer the sum of £10. I can remember having that discussion with my dad. The promise that we get from God is problematic, but not from his side. It's from ours, because we so often refuse to believe it. That's the story, the universal story through the Old Testament. They didn't believe it when it had been given to Abraham. They didn't believe it when it had been given to Moses. They didn't believe it when it had been given to David. They wouldn't believe it when it was given to the prophets. They simply would not believe that they could be God's people and he could be their God. And it becomes clear that the universal human problem is the consequence of living without trust in the promise of God. God. See, there's not many these days are going to hear the term sin as helpful, not because they don't know what it means, but because they think they think they do know what it means, and they're normally wrong. But isn't there a widespread sense anyway that life is hard in the wrong sort of way, not heroically hard, just horribly hard, that life is fragile in ways that it shouldn't be, that relationships break down in ways they shouldn't, that we are not free to be our true selves. Well, that's not surprising if the problem is that each one of us lives from the center of him or herself, that living with ourselves as the center is the problem. And we can say from Zechariah, what if the problem is you, my friend, What if the problem could be fixed so that you could face life with strength rather than fragility, facing life without fear, with the peace that enables living right, as verse 74 promises? And, and this is the point of Zechariah, that you did it with all the weight of hundreds of generations behind you. Not a quick fix, not a flash in the pan, but a deep fix, and for everybody, Not many in our day know what sin means, but it needn't stop us picking up the language of verse 77. What if you could live? What if you could live just knowing from the depth of your heart, the marrow of your bones, that you were forgiven? What could you not then do? So many of us face the difficulty, not so much of explaining the good news to others, uh, but rather having the kind of relationship with others out of which deep conversation can happen. So here's a challenge from Zechariah. Yes, he speaks of forgiveness of sins in verse 77, but by the end he's reaching for picture language. Light and darkness, shadow and death, the path of peace. In the lives that you care for, what has to happen so that you can talk about light and darkness? Shadow and peace. It's okay to use picture language rather than rushing to use the correct biblical language from the beginning, because this is indeed a universal prescription. We live in an instant age. We defend quality time with our children instead of quantity. We look to become the one-minute manager. We serve instant everything. We demand faster broadband. And yet at the same time, there's a longing for depth for consistency, for long-termness and loyalty. And Zechariah's God is offering just that. Jesus comes as news, the very latest, hot off the press, the unexpected moment. But he's also the one waiting in the wings through the generations of Adam and Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets before Abraham was I am, Jesus says, because our God is faithful. And our story, yours and mine, began long, long ago, and it does not end with us. But for our generation, let's pray. Lord, many of us will have come into... uh, This building today, with our minds occupied by what has happened to us today, or perhaps in the last week since we were together. And you invite us to look back over so many generations, and to find you faithful. Renew our confidence that this Jesus, who is new to the world at Christmas... is the absolute culmination of all that you have ever promised through thousands of years. And may that Jesus, representing the faithfulness of God, be to us our constant hope and anchor. A hope and anchor that we offer to our world. Amen.